When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles and you're listening to Startup Stories, the weekly show from the Financial Times in which I talk to entrepreneurs about the joys and challenges of starting a business. You never start a company planning to sell it, Jacob de Geer, founder of the Swedish payment startup iZettle, said recently. But when you're offered double the amount you're hoping to raise in your first IPO, that can be hard to resist. That's what happened to iZettle, which was snapped up by PayPal last month for over $2 billion, the latest star of the Swedish tech scene to be bought up by a bigger US rival before being able to list. Mr de Geer, who will continue to lead iZettle, said a deal would give the company steroids to speed up its growth. But before all this happened, I met up with him in Helsinki, where he told me how it all started. The background was really that my today ex-wife, she was the typical sort of sole trader, importing things and going out to Swedish trade fairs four times a year. In Sweden 2010, she was out at one of those trade fairs showing her products and she came home and she was absolutely furious about the fact that already back then, Sweden was heading towards the cashless society that we are today. You know, less than 3% of all transactions in Sweden are handling cash. So she came home and she was absolutely frustrated and, and it wasn't because of me at that time, but because of the fact that she realized that half of all the people who came to her stand, yeah. they wanted to buy her products and she couldn't accept credit cards and they didn't carry cash. And the consequence was that, you know, most of them walked away and never got back. And uh, my question back then was, why don't you get yourself a credit card terminal? You know, it's, uh, you can get them everywhere. You can pay with cards in Sweden already back in 2010, pretty much everywhere. And she said, you know, it's impossible for me. Okay, why is that? If I go to my bank, they will tell me that, sure, you can have a, a terminal. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And, uh, you know, it, effectively, it's going to cost you a thousand euros up front. And then we're going to lock you into a 36-month contract. And then on top of that, for every transaction, you'll have to pay a transaction fee. And she did the math and came to the conclusion that I use this four times a year. I'm locked in for 36 months. It's never going to fly. You know, what can I do? So that was really the starting point of this story. And then I started looking to really understand if that was a real problem or not. And I came to the conclusion that, you know, across Europe, you see companies in the area in the range of, you know, one to 10 employees. That's on average in the area of 96% of all companies in Europe. They are very small, sole traders or four or five employees, right? But on an aggregate level, they account for you know, 20 to 30% of the economy in each and every sort of European country. And yet they are completely excluded and underserved in any possible aspect when it comes to financial solutions. 
you had no background no. in financial services. My first company was a marketing company, an internet marketing company, digital. Second company was trying to uh, build a Netflix, but failing miserably. And third one was a traditional sort of media agency that we launched in Sweden. So this came from that sort of epiphany that there is a massive segment that are completely underserved from financial services and payments is the core need of any new business that want to set up shop because they need to take payments. But banking is a notoriously sort of conservative industry. The perception <laughs> is it's hard to break into it because you have to be big and have capital behind you. Why did you think you could do this? I think to a certain extent, naivety or uh, you know lack of knowledge sometimes is bliss. Because if I would have known back then what I know today, there would not be a chance that I would have pursued this opportunity because it's been a sort of roller coaster ride, both mentally and physically. And, you know, it's been much tougher than I could ever have imagined back then. So, what do you think it was that enabled you to get to this scale that you're at now? Well, you get that question quite often. And I think, to be fair, and not say that I, you know, I, it's because I'm so smart, talented, and, and handsome, but rather 80% of a successful venture that is trying to disrupt an industry. 80%, I would say, is about luck slash timing. I don't know which one or if they equal one another. But luck and timing is a big part. It meant for us that, I say us because I have a co-founding partner. We're like a pop band, basically. I'm the lead singer, and he's in the background playing all the instruments. And he doesn't get his fair share of appreciation. So I have a fantastic co-founder. And um, luck and timing for us was really that we realized that this was an opportunity. Second part was that he also has a sort of notorious serial entrepreneur kind of uh, history. We have tried out different industries. He's been in hardware uh, to a certain extent. He was involved in a company that involved hardware in combination with an app. My history came from sort of transaction-intense, heavy back-end solutions, business to business. So we had never met before, effectively. We were introduced by friends. And we started off by making our sort of separate sort of assessments of, of the market and the opportunity. And then three months later, we met up and said, you know, this is too good to be true. We just need to do this. And then came the question, how? And since none of us had any experience from payments, we started off by going out and interviewing the schemes, sort of MasterCard and Visas, and realized that there is a clear need. There is a product market fit here. And then came the sort of question, so how, how do you actually do this? Because no one had done it before. And what we wanted to do was effectively to remove almost 96-98% of all the logic and security that normally resides in you know, the clunky payment terminals that you see yeah. in, in Tesco. That still looks like spaceships from, from a Star Trek movie. We want to remove that and move it to the cloud and then only keep the most relevant part to take the payment from the card and then keep all the heavy and cost-intense stuff in the cloud. And by doing so, we could create sort of a solution which was cheap enough so we can give it away to people to democratize card payments. That was sort of the, the underlying idea. This is another sort of entrepreneurship often, isn't it? Someone looking at a problem differently. Yeah, saying, I think so. I mean, the, the way we started was, uh, we, we talked to MasterCard and Visa in Sweden, actually, and they told us that this can probably not be done. But there is a guy in Sweden <laughs> who's really talented when it comes to payments. He actually invented the ATM. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> Does he have a name? <laughs> and we called 
him and he recommended us to get in touch with a person who's an expert in card payment security. So together with him, we started to lay out what we wanted to do. And then he started to think about how could we architect this. And by doing so, we found some parts where he had contacts that we could contact in other places in Europe. So we found a guy in Spain who happened to be an expert in crypto. And we found a guy in uh, Germany who had an industry who actually produces secure hardware for the card payments industry. So laying that type of puzzle and not having an entire organization, but rather working you know, with people around the world on a case-by-case basis. And in some cases, people just wanted to change the world, wanted to help us out along the way. And eventually, we found a way forward. Just to tell you an anecdote, one of the biggest secure hardware manufacturers for payments devices actually is a national company with headquarters in Sweden. And we called the main guy who was responsible for hardware and hardware productions. And I asked him, so this is the case. We want to set up an entirely new sort of payments infrastructure. We want to remove the 96% of the cloud. We want to produce a piece of hardware that is extremely well designed that you can plug into your iPhone with the same kind of security as the traditional server terminal so that it you know, passes all the certifications needed by the industry. But yet, it has to be so cheap so we can give it away for free, effectively. And it was dead silent, and he told me, sorry, i got to ask you, how long have you been in this industry for? Well, two months, basically, with no prior history. I got only one piece of advice. Okay, so what's that? Give up. Get yourself another sort of day job. Okay, so why is that? Well, you know, there are some really big players around in the world. Some of the biggest companies in the world are card payment terminal manufacturers. And I can tell you they've been at this for years. And if it could be done, they would have done it. All right? You know, only in in China, and this is back in 2010, there are 6 million cab drivers who would want this yesterday, effectively. So um, I got only one piece of advice, give up. And I said, so, okay, fair enough. (laughs) I won't, but uh, anyways... (laughs) If I find a way forward, is it okay if I get in touch again? And I was a bit silent and I said, well, don't call me. You can send me an email. <laughs> so that was the beginning of sort of the challenges that we have overcome along the way. And I think that's something that you need. You need a mindset where problem needs to be viewed more as opportunities. My co-founder and I, we tend to have the view that the sum of all problems that we solve eventually equals the value of the company. How do you cope when you're getting those many knockbacks? So the way I cope with it is I'm a huge sports fan, not uh, following much sports on TV, but rather doing sports. I play a lot of tennis, and I hate to lose. So I think that's part of the mindset. If somebody tells me it can't be done, I want to prove them wrong. Then I just want to show this person in the factory somewhere in Sweden that you were absolutely wrong. Eventually, you will suffer for turning me down. (laughs) Um, They actually spur you on even more. (laughs) It does. But then how do you go about finding the people? I mean, in this case, you know, it's laying a puzzle. You find someone who knows someone, and then one thing leads you to something else. There is no roadmap. You're on your own, and then you, you will eventually find the people. But I would also say this, I think, looking back, if a, a very conservative industry, like sort of the payments industry, or any other sort of conservative industry, tells you it can't be done, then go for it. Because there is, you know, massive opportunity, and, you know, sky is the limit. Because 
people get fat and happy and you know they will tell you we tried this 10 years ago we tried this and then they tend to forget that you know 10 years ago what was the installed base of cell phones everything has changed so dramatically so old truths you can't see them as truths anymore you need to rethink reevaluate and and uh, let's go for it and it's one thing to come up with the answer yeah. it's another to get people to adopt it and achieve a scale who were your early adopters? So it's a combination of things. First of all, there needs to be a, a sort of product market fit. And in our case, we realized that there is a massive and underserved segment out there. And they're all looking for this infrastructure because cards are everywhere, right? And people want to use them. Mm. And cash is cumbersome. So, I mean, it was pretty obvious. We had, you know, everything from tennis instructors to what do you call them, blacksmiths, you know, the guys who mm. make horseshoes. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone, they don't want to send invoices because then they need to eventually follow up on, on the payment if it has been made and so on. Everyone wants to access to payment straight away. So the product market fit was there. And then eventually when we got further along the way of, of actually launching the product, it took us roughly a year to do everything necessary in all the certifications mm. and so on and so forth. And when we started talking to banks, they kept telling us that, you guys... Why do you do this? I mean, it's a waste of time. Everyone in Sweden who needs a car terminal, they have one. So like, yeah, sure, but, you know, there is another need. It's a segment that's completely underserved. You never managed to attract the merchants at a good enough cost level so you can actually make money out of them, which is the reason that you left them in the dark for so many years, and we found a way. And in a card payments market like Sweden, where... The growth of number of merchants in Sweden that takes new terminals every year up until the point where ISL started was somewhere in the area of 3% year on year. We launched in August 2011, and between August up until Christmas, we had increased the entire installed base of terminals in Sweden with 10%. You know, the first day when we pressed the button and launched the service, you know, we had 6,000 new merchants that just wanted to take payments. And how are they finding out about it? Online. We had a very limited marketing budget. We were bootstrapped for quite some time, and eventually we managed to secure funding from a Series A from Index Ventures and the Swedish firm Creando, very early investors in Spotify. And they've been fantastic all along, huge supporters of the company during good times and bad times. But we had a very limited budget up until the point where we launched, and we had two students in a Swedish sort of design university uh, for a very limited budget do our launch video. And I had a friend who's a former scriptwriter from Hollywood, and then I have a friend who's an actor, and everyone came together and shared inspiration, and we created a video. You know, I just put it on Facebook and said to my friends, so what do you think about my new venture? Do you think it has a future? You know, I started following the statistics on YouTube. You know, first day, 10 views. Second day, 150,000 views. It just spread virally like that. Do you know what happened? Who was it? No, I don't know who it Great. was. It was, you know, it was relevant, and the, you, know, you can still see it on, online. In my opinion, it was, it was hugely creative and actually praised by Apple at the time for being one of the more sort of creative videos that they saw during that year. Nothing formal, but that's what we heard. Let's say you want to sell your watch, or your car, or a pair of sunglasses. Just connect the free chip card reader to your iPhone. So it's finding the right person who can create that sort of... Yeah, and the right sort of touch and the right storytelling with the right twist so that people actually find it interesting. And then, 
one should remember we were the first in the world to actually manage to do this. This was entirely new. Anyone could take payments. I could pay you for, you know, if you just sold me your old bike on eBay, I could go up to you and pay with Visa or Amex and then get loyalty points, you know. Yeah. And was it again this sort of outsider's perspective? You know, the guys making the video had they ever done any sort of banking stuff before was that all part of it no they they were students you know they were hugely creative and they they had a different mindset and and so on but it was a collective effort iZettle payments made easy and you've achieved a scale. I mean, how many people are using iZettle terminals now? I don't know. It depends if you look at sort of yearly, monthly, weekly, and it's not typically a number that we talk about. But I think a more relevant number is that 1,000 small businesses per day become customers and start using iZettle. And how so, many countries are you in? 12. Uh, so we have 10 markets in Europe and then Mexico and Brazil. And it sounds like the logical combination, doesn't it? <laughs> How did that happen? It happened because in 2012, Banco Santander came to us. And Banco Santander is actually a very innovative bank, one of the world's leading and largest banks. And um, some of their main markets are in South Latin America with Mexico and Brazil. And they said that, you know, we've been scouting the world for a mobile payment solution. Because if you think that the small business segment in Europe is big, it's massive in Mexico and Brazil. You have people everywhere selling everything from tacos to fruit juices to everywhere. Everyone is a sole trader, basically. You know, Brazil is the second largest card payment market in the world. You know, we want to get leverage from all the cards and this is the perfect product. And you're the only guys who actually managed to solve the problem. So we want to invest in the company and then we want to, together with you, we want to go to Brazil and to Mexico and you can distribute through our branch offices and so on. That was the reason why we're, we're now in Mexico and Brazil. It sounds when you tell it a constant upward sort of movement, but there must have been really <laughs> difficult moments. What were the most challenging times? Yeah, oh my God, there are so many challenges and so many sleepless nights. And uh, again, what we do is problem solving. And it's just a matter of scale, how big the problem actually is. Challenging an industry means that you don't make a lot of sort of incumbent friends, (laughs) at least not in the beginning until they understand how you fit into the whole scheme of things. So we've been challenged by banks, we've been challenged by card schemes, we've been challenged by regulators, we've been challenged by pretty much everyone. When you say challenged... We have had banks, you know, we've seen them being out in the papers, for example, during the early days. You know, all of a sudden, Swedish banks realized that, you know, this product was flying. And the segment that generates best sort of profits for bank within card payments is a small business segment. And that was sort of in our sweet spot. So then all of a sudden, we started seeing PR activities from some of the banks saying that, you know, this is highly insecure and nobody should trust this provider and... You know, even though we were certified and regulated in the same way as they were. And what do you do when you're facing that? You kind of sit back and wait for a reaction from the markets. And I think at that point, it was so early in the process. And it was a David and Goliath kind of story that was emerging. And unfortunately, in general, people don't like their banks. You know, they're nothing for them apart from, a, you know, it's where you probably have your mortgage and it's probably where you get your monthly salary but apart from that they don't care about the bank most uh, millennials they prefer to go to the dentist rather than go to the bank so 
It was actually quite a good thing. To it be was criticized. A, yeah, it was, it was a good thing because it just fueled people's views on that banks are stuffy and conservative, and you know they don't care about my best interest. So I, I think that that was just something good for us in the end. I asked Rhonda Schroeder, director of the Berkeley House Entrepreneurship Program, to comment on Jacob's story. I think he did all of the right things. And one thing I especially appreciated, it's a mantra that we have, product market fit. Find your product market fit. So he started out in a logical manner with one small product market fit and then scale it. We call that nail it and then scale it. Does it help to be an outsider if you want to disrupt a market like this? Absolutely. Someone who looks at an opportunity with fresh eyes and doesn't see constraints. I think those make the best types of entrepreneurs versus entrepreneurs that are using a technology that's looking for a solution. We've obviously seen in financial services some big disruptors like PayPal. How realistic is it for a company like iZettle to become a big player in its own right? I think the more salient point is to find a problem that is a huge pain point. So I think the size of the disruption can be matched to the level of frustration on the part of the ultimate buyer or consumer of your product or service. I asked Jacob what advice he'd give to someone starting out today and whether it was all worth it. Today, with an organization of 500 and a brilliant management team and sort of a fantastic company culture and a great product, obviously I can only look back and tell myself that it was the right choice. But it has come with a lot of uh, sometimes pain and anxiety and uh, you know, all the things that comes with starting a business. And that's part of the journey. Do you have people who've helped you through that? Is that something about getting mentors? And... From my perspective, the person who has been my strongest ally and my sounding board is actually my co-founding partner. Mm. I mean, he's 20 years older than I am, but you know, hugely inspirational and you know, a really strong person to hold on to when things feel like they go south. And I, I think he would probably say the same thing about me. We complement each other in a, in, a, in a fantastic way. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that Iceland would never have been what it is today without sort of that combination. What is it that you do and he does? Today I'm the CEO. So I'm the only person in Iceland who's had the same job all along. Whereas he's been everything from CFO to uh, heading up sales to operations, HR. And now he's actually the executive chairman. <laughs> Next week, we talk to a Cambridge academic who went into the business of making satchels in order to pay for her children's school fees. In the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on previous episodes, you can visit our special page, ft.com startup. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.